are listening to Going Direct, presented by Cal Fire Local 2881, the podcast, the Cal Fire family. All right, everybody, thank you very much for coming back to this podcast. First of all, Kelly, I love the intro music. It is awesome. I love that hardcore vibe. It always gets me blood pumping. So Sean Edwards here. I'm back up in Sacramento, and I'm pretty excited about this little episode of this podcast because I'm here with a pretty powerful table. We're up here for advanced leadership, and at the table we got my man, Tim Edwards. Father, how are you? Good. Good afternoon. Yes. Hi. And also Josh Smith and Jeremy Salzoni, um, two powerhouse guys. We've been up here all week doing the advanced leadership. Thank you, Josh, for bringing me aboard on this. I really appreciate it. It's been a heck of an honor uh, just to be involved, you know, with this and, you know, kind of helping teach this next generation. So just kind of wanted to do that introduction. And um, Josh, if you want to just start out and just kind of give us a little background and who you are, what you do. Yeah. So I'm the first district vice president of Sonoma, Lake Napa, Mendo, Humboldt, and Del Norte. And, uh, you know, we, we wanted to re- kind of revamp this advanced class and you left a big shadow when you're the chapter director and you're a leader that's respect throughout the state. And when I was talking to Tim about, you know, who do we grab? Who's, who's vocal, who's passionate. And you're one of the first names that came up. So I'm glad you stepped up to do it. And then obviously Sal over here, he's a, he's the same kind of guy and the morals and the passion just bleed out of everywhere. And I think we've got the right group and we're going the right direction. So. Yeah, absolutely. You know, the president, a district vice president, and now also a bargaining team member being here, this is this can be a very fruitful conversation. Sal, what do you got? Uh, Jeremy Salzoni out of the San Diego unit, uh, former DVP or uh, deputy vice president down, the, down there. Now a member at large, still doing the veteran stuff. Uh, bargaining team member from the South, just general all around, utility player, really. You know, one of the things that your, your uh, platform and, and what you did up here was the, the veteran stuff. That was the first time I met you, and it was a, a class similar to this. I don't know if it was advanced leadership or not, but you gave, you know, the Title 38. Had no idea what that was. I know we don't have very many, you know, veterans, but when they do have the issues and they call me, I'm like, Dude, I, I have no idea how to do this, but I got a guy, and that's Jeremy Salzoni. And so, you know, what you've been doing um, with that uh, has been really instrumental to the success of a lot of our members. So, first of all, I appreciate that. But what is your background, you know, with that and your military background and all that? Because you got a lot more to the table. Yeah, so, I mean, I served with the Marine Corps, um, got out, had some issues um, trying to, you know, get employment, right? I mean, honorable discharge, so on and so forth. And trying to navigate those systems is kind of complicated. So, my background with the department was uh, RVETS. Uh, I was doing recruitment and stuff, kind of solo, going rogue down in San Diego just because of the huge veteran population down there. Um, and then it just turned out to be formalized through the department. Simultaneously, Tim brought me on, um, wanted to start dealing with some vet- veterans issues that popped up from time to time, really kind of around hiring and military leave type stuff. So I delve into it, uh, started to unpack it. It's been, I think we keep trying to figure this out. It's been eight or 10 years. I can't remember, but it's yeah. been a minute and it's evolved um, and you'd be surprised to be on veterans that work for this department. Um, it surprises me every year when we start to dig into it. Uh, there's just not a lot of people that are out there, you know, making it out. You know, they're not saying it. They're not bringing it up because, you know, they're just trying to do their thing. So, yeah, it's been quite a while. Um, 
the the edges get blurry for me from time to time because I do um, work on behalf of the department and uh, labor, but in my eyes, it's one and the same. You know, it's just two two arms of the same body. So, yeah, it's my background. Well, I think that's what's cool about it too, because not only are you a leader in the department, but you're a leader up here. You know, and you know, rank aside. Um, it's pretty cool to hear that you're on all these cadres, you know, and you, you brought up you, one of your, you know, PowerPoints up here was, you know, time management and, you know, you're getting your master's degree. You're on the bargaining team. You're on this cadre, on that cadre. You're on this committee, that committee. Like you got a lot of stuff going. Oh, and you got kids, you got dogs, you got a garden, you live in Arizona. Like it, that you're, you're pretty impressive. And um, so, some of those cadres and committees, I mean, how, how do you do it? What, how is your time management? I, I don't quite understand how you do all this. I don't know. You say it, it makes me exhausted thinking about it. Um, really, it's just task orientation. I didn't do it well, I'll tell you that. It took time. Um, but just trying to establish awareness, um, the ability to adapt, focus, um, find a way to pick up time when you can, and how not to waste it. And I think the key for me was trying to identify respecting other people's time because if you want it, you got to give it type situation. Uh, I, I got into it. I unpacked it, uh, did some research, started to find out there's a lot of people out there that have been looking into this for quite some time. So the key to it is most of this stuff is accidental. I don't go looking for it. It just kind of finds me organically, which I, I find to be the best part. Because then, you know, you really kind of let your energy go on it. But, yeah, with the supervision level two cadre through the uh, department, um, I picked up time management and was able to really start to, to deliver the message. So um, it was just really great to be able to deliver it to the, the group up here this week. So, Tim, you know, what do you say? You know, you got someone like this. How, how do you reach out and, and find these guys? You know, I asked you earlier, like, there's so many committees. I don't even know all the committees. But, you know, when you find someone, you know, like Jeremy to take that over, you know, I know we talked about having Jeremy like have a succession plan with that, you know, all these committees and all these things. How do you effectively delegate that? Well, when I start looking for committee members, I look at what committee it is first and foremost. So whether it's equipment or PPE or uniform or something, I, I try to find people that are actively involved in that in their work life. And, and really, I can't. Jeremy and I go when we were the same district, six in. 10 were one district. And I met Jeremy when I was filling in for Rick and he was the guy in the back of the room for 10 and actually uh, at the time six. And I, I actually kind of blew him off on something because <laughs> he sat in the back of the room with long hair. He doesn't look anything like he did today. <laughs> I think I remember that. Yeah. I, I do remember that. And um, the thing I liked about it is I'm the type of guy is, Hey man, I'm straightforward. He's straightforward. And he didn't bullshit me. And then I found like, okay, well, this guy's not going to bullshit me. He wasn't happy with me. He let me know he wasn't happy with me. So I started getting to know him. And then when I found out, you know, his, what his passions were, I felt like we just had to like absorb that in. And so, um, as I came up as the rank and file director and took over the rank and file class, I thought, you know, his, his veterans, um, educational piece is really good and needs to be taught. And he was an easy tap for me because I knew him. I knew that was his passion and I grab him. So when I look at other committee members and where they go, like recently we just filled Curtis Nagel on the new health and safety committee uh, because that's what he's involved in on his daily basis and he's passionate about it. So when I look for committee members, I look at people that are actually going to be passionate about it, participate in it, take both sides of the department, what the department needs to do and compare it to what the union needs to do and come up with a way to make it work. So, 
adversaries becoming best friends. I love it. Yeah. Uh, I wouldn't go as far as we were adversaries. adversaries. We <laughs> were just we were just filling each other out. It was I was new, um, and I didn't know. I, I I was very unaware, and it wasn't if it wasn't for Tim really stepping in and and teaching me this. I mean, I had some great mentors. I mean, Josh over here. We go way back. Tim. Randy Scales and those guys, it really took a lot of folks to kind of line me up. But then once I got the fire, there's no stopping from there. You know, in, in San Diego, you know, I made some comments during convention about San Diego. It, I don't know what it is. It is the stars are aligned or whatnot. But what, you know, uh, your DVP Walker, your unit chief Meacham. And I, I, it's a big district, but I also think it, it's interesting the 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 politics of it. Like I come from a unit, we don't have a board of supervisors. We don't even have a county fire department, you know. And so the ability, I I just I can see things really lining up for you guys in San Diego, and it is legit and it's palpable. You can feel it. Uh, you know the organization, uh, just the the really good stuff that's coming out of there. And I think a big part of that too is just you know recognizing who you have, but also just the structure that you guys fall under. The fact that you are the county fire department, the fact that your fire chief is then it's the EMS like the 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 LIMSA chief essentially too, right? Hey, is it, right? Is that is that yes, true? Sir. Yeah. So I mean, there's a lot of you know power down there, and you guys are really truly a powerhouse. It's a huge unit. Um, I I just think that's that's just. Um, it's a tough act to follow down there. I mean, we're you're yeah. talking about, you know, the growth that we've seen, um, what Chief Meacham has brought to the table, what Patrick's brought to the table. And, I mean, that's just two. I mean, we're surrounded by right. absolute race cars down there, um, and they see the future, and they're not scared of it. They lean into it, which, you know, it's like I always tell people, you know, you just you got to kind of figure it out, right? No one really, no one really spoons Fiji anything, and so – with that, um, you you know, powerhouse, I mean, that's an understatement. I mean, they're race cars, they're missiles, and it's inspiring to be with those folks, you know, when you're tired or you're trying to find that last breath, you know, to get, get, over, the, get over the top of the hill. It's easy because you're not alone. So, yeah, absolutely, growth, leadership, expertise, and the willingness to have a conversation, which is, to me, communication's everything. And um, vertical, horizontal communication down there is it's pretty good. Yeah, it's relationships down there. Absolutely. And and down there, you know, I, some may not know this, Meacham was my captain back in the day in India. So Meacham's very progressive chief. But he's also willing to work with labor. And so when you have that combination, you have a board of supervisors down there that have seen devastation from 2007, 2003, and understand the need for fire service. They have those relationships to bring that all together, and that's what District 10 has done. They've been able to capitalize on those relationships to grow as fast as they have. Right. Strike it, you know, when the iron's hot. When you yeah. got the players in, you better take advantage of it because if you don't, it can pass you up. It can lead into the, the relationship portion because they have that relationship and they were able to build on it. If more units were that way, if you had more chiefs willing to – Look right. at where it needs to go, and more chapter directors and VPs willing to open up that door are getting out there politically to make things happen. It, everybody can do it. Ten is just taking advantage of the opportunity, and they've seen it, and they're running with it, and they're growing. And every one of our districts and chapters could do the same. You know, it's just seeing it and doing it, and that's really what needs to happen. And as you guys were teaching in your advanced leadership, is and as Salzoni said, you can't let the door slam shut. You can always disagree, but you got to find a way to keep that door open to walk through to make those things happen. And as an organization, we're, we're pushing this department to grow. And I think more and more of these unit chiefs and 
um, executive staff is seeing that that's coming down the pike. So now's the opportunity. And then you guys in this advanced leadership to, to instill that into them. Now's the time to strike. And, and, and 10 is a perfect example. There was a time to strike and they struck. Now everybody else needs to start doing the same. Right. You know, and that progressive thinking too, you know, uh, with, you know, our Northern region chief coming in and being part of the GLMC, uh, you know, and really that forward thinking. We're not, you know, uh, a, a 1900s fire department anymore. We need to progress forward. That's with schedule. That's with pay. That's with retention. How do we do this? You know, because still everybody's hiring. I know the, the, the medic rank is very volatile right now. People are jumping ship all over the place. Uh, but that that progressive thinking. And so, you know, with, with that and the JLMC you know, with coming out of this contract, this two-year contract with the expectation of a, a work week reduction by November of 2024, have you guys met? What is that looking like? Are, is it feeling good? Is it looking good? You know, what kind of updates can you give us on that perspective? Yeah, the JLMC, we've met about five times now. We're going to meet twice next week. We have a deadline of May 15 to present what the 66-hour work week looks like and when i mean looks like means in scheduling the number of staffing the cost that it's going to take to do that and we have to have that by may 15th to present to the legislators to put forward for the budget of next year because even though we're still in this year they're already comparing the budget for next year and how to move forward um so right off the bat just quite frankly the first few meetings were rough there was still some on the on the management side that felt they wanted to put a square in a circle. They wanted to keep Cal Fire the same and do the job the same. And they had to come to the realization that what we're doing is changing Cal Fire. George Morris that you mentioned earlier came in later in the game. I think there was some clear direction on where they need to go. And now we're moving forward with it. We have four potential, four to five potential schedules that could be agreed upon for shift pattern one type scenario. We have um, the staffing levels that need to be met to be able to achieve it. And currently the bargaining team um, will have to start looking at what those numbers take to to do it in the next contract financially, too. So I, I think we're on track to do it right. I think by the end of next week, we'll have the paperwork needed to move forward by May 15th. But also, I want people to understand the JMC doesn't stop there. The JMC is here to address all the issues we have in the department, the hiring, testing, um, recruitment, training process of it and as you see we're, we're changing training as we talk now we have a new academy in the north we're changing how firefighter ones come on board they're getting trained to the full firefighter state fire marshal one now we change the firefighter two academy if they have that state fire marshal one the firefighter two academy will go down to four weeks we're looking at the redundancy in the coa to move people in and out of there faster and get them to training with their knee and that's I, i'll have to say it, that's on the back of us in the department working together on this one to make it happen yeah. So with legislative, you know, that those timelines, that's definitely, you know, what you're up here day in and day out in that crazy White House. Uh, so we we started a legislation session right now. Right. So all the laws that are, are or potential, you know, committees, nothing's being going to be passed this year. But going forward, what are some of those legislative priorities that that we have going on? You know, I'll just start it off. I heard I was surprised to hear that we have something in committee and it's, super, you know, very committed right now, subcommittee and, you know, a lot of committee. Uh, but the pay parity, 
Yeah. Like for Cal Fire having pay period, I, I thought that was a pipe dream that was never going to be. It's definitely been a priority coming out of convention. I know the bargaining team's, you know, been been looking at it, but it's interesting. Some of the, it's not bargaining, it's legislative, and that's how much of a powerhouse we are. But can you speak to that that pay parity specifically? Well, I'll speak to, what you know, the board, you know, like I said earlier, there's a time to strike and there's time to not. The board realized this is the time to strike. We got to try it again. Everybody was kind of scared because the, the pay parity one has been, vetoed several times over the last few years and and the board was very um, strong in their decision that if we're going to run something we need to run it now now's the time to strike on the heels of these fires so we actually introduced two legislation one is to continue the push for the 56 hour duty week that one is what is on um, suspense right now that means it's just put off to the side what happened this year is we started a two-year cycle meaning any bill introduced now has two years to get through the process before it kind of just dies our 56-hour one, I believe, will be stalled out to the second year because they want to see how we work through the 66. Right. I believe there's a chance of this pay parity one getting to the governor's desk this year. You know, by the way, it's moving through. It's, it's moving through. We ask for 15% pay parity to the 20 departments that we look at, and we do that because you have to understand local government as a whole. Cities will always make more than counties. Counties will always make more than states. So in order to come in and say we compare ourselves to these 20 departments, so a really high-paying department and a very low-paying department, to come within 15% of those and with the 56-hour duty week puts us to the point where we are now competitive for recruitment and retention. And I believe we're going to get that to the desk of the governor this year. So it's interesting you bring up, you know, the, the law into getting to the governor, and that reminds me of something that Jeremy brought up today that was just completely mind-blowing to me, uh, th- this idea that, uh, you know, when a law actually com- becomes a law, just because it's written, you know, I don't know if it was government code or specific legislation, or even, you know, I hesitate to say, but our Firefighter Bill of Rights, that's a guideline. It's not a law until it's, like, ruled on. Or How did you put it, Jeremy? You got some awesome advice on this. Yeah, well, so... <clears throat> Yeah. And you're not a lawyer, so I'm not putting you on blast. Yeah, you're so, all no, good. 100% I'm not a lawyer. Um, I did stay at a Holiday Inn once, though. But mm-hmm. The reality of it was is, is through my travels with um, the veteran stuff, Title 38, USERA, yeah. working through the process, I seek counsel. And in that counsel, um, Gary Messing delivered a mind-blowing, earth-shattering concept to me as well is, yeah, everything's great until it's argued. And then that's when it truly becomes a law or, you know, when that law becomes solidified is when it's argued by two parties and it's ruled upon, whether it be arbitration or a judge. And, and then at that point, there's precedence, right? Salazoni versus whomever, um, if you will. And so, yeah, it was pretty mind-blowing to me as well because I was like, well, it's written down. And he goes, has it been argued by both sides? And that's why those databases uh, in, in, in the legal world exist, you know, so they can do research, trial law, so on and so forth. So yeah, it was pretty, it got me good. It got me pretty good too, to be honest with you. I, and that for me, it comes back around like at the chapter level or, or filing a grievance, right? So we have, you know, we got the MOU in front of us. We're reading the clause of the MOU. Well, it's pretty clear to us. Well, management has a different interpretation. Okay. So it's written down. It's black and white. Management has a different interpretation of us. Okay. That's where a grievance comes in, goes to the one, two, three, four, possibly five, arbitrated, and then ruled on. And then, oh, hey, by the way, yep, you're right. That clause in the MOU is applicable to this situation, and it is now binding. 
I, I guess it's simple to think about that now, but I, I hadn't really put that in context. Uh, I thought that was very interesting. Uh, Josh, do you have any insight on, you know, on something, you know, like that coming out of your district, you know, and how those, you know, kind of grievances or trials and tribulations, you know, comes out in, in that realm? Had you heard that concept before? Well, to a degree, I mean, we have one arbitration that we're fighting statewide right now that came out of my district specific to LNUECC and owning your shift. And, uh, you know, we went through the process. People were getting moved um, without a meet and confer, complete change of working conditions. We went through the process when uh, Tim was rank and file, and we won that. And then, you know, no less than a year later, it happens in San Diego. Yeah. And uh, because it's a different rank or the circumstances are a little bit different, we got to go through the whole process again, and we're, we're fighting it again right now. Yeah. And uh, even though it was ruled on, because there is little tweaks, we have to fight it all over again, and it's not just a rubber stamp, you know? Yeah, it's very frustrating. We're, we're going, you know, we filed, you know, I believe it's now at the level four or, or going into five being arbitrated for owning our shifts, you know, in, in BEU. I, I know we talked about that last time too, but good God, it's so frustrating. It is. It is. One of the things jo- came out of Josh's district is what eventually became the the new uh, seasonals being put in, the firefighter ones putting into the firefighter bill of rights, because that actually is one of those cases where it's written into the firefighter bill of rights who has a right to evidentiary hearing. And until we challenge who that individual actually is, it became. So in Josh's district, he had an issue with the seasonal that they brought forward and challenged it, which eventually ended up becoming part of the firefighter bill of rights. So it wasn't clear because it had never been challenged. Yeah. And then when we challenged it and promoted it and pushed it forward, it became very clear at that point in time. Yeah, that goes back to relationships and building rights. So we identified an issue, unfortunately, and somebody had to essentially lay on the grenade for the greater good of everybody, but that's how all this works, right? And uh, with our relationships politically, we were able to find a local you know, assemblyman to carry that legislation for us and push it, and uh, that's how we got across the finish line. Like I said, it's unfortunate that it took that and somebody lost a job over that. Yeah. But, um, you know, we're here now, and everybody has the right to an SPP hearing and not just a name clearing by the unit chief who fired you. Yeah. And uh, it just it seems absurd that you have to be judge the judge and the jury is the one making your decision, and that's the only rights that they had with the department this big. Right. Yeah, that's interesting. So with the you know those lawsuits, is there any other lawsuits? I you know I I think we we did go forward uh, finally with the the Kalosha and the overtime, uh, you know, or the the amount of mandatory overtime. Is there updates on that? No, it's still, we just got it to the courts. It just finally ended up going to the courts because to sue the state of California or anything takes a tremendous amount of efforts because we're a contract. We have a contract, con- contract, and we have binding, not binding arbitration, but we have collective bargaining. So they like to put everything that since you have a contract and you have collective bargaining, you have to go that route before you can actually sue the state of California. And so it took a long time to get to a point to go after the state of California for our forced overtime issue. We went through OSHA. OSHA declared that was there no there's no physical injury. They don't recognize mental health as a physical injury yet. So sad in this world, but they don't. And so the next level was then the challenge it, you know, in the courts. And it takes a while to get there. It just doesn't happen overnight. So it's finally get got to the courts. It's in its early stages. Realistically it could be a year to two out by the time things are heard. 
And I, I get it. I mean, the process is slow. We've been talking about the process and, and, and the procedure this week, but it's, you get bogged down because, okay, well, what is the process? You know, well, I got this blue book and it's the MOU, but you know, the department has policy and procedure and it just, it's difficult, you know, but I think the members, you know, and everybody out there needs to know that we're hitting this from all angles. It is the bargaining team. It is legislation. It is lobbying. And, you know, we're up against a lot. And especially in this post-Janus era, you know, nothing is given to us. It, everything is fought for. And it seems, you know, I mean, this post-Janus era is just being more difficult. Forced overtime is the number one topic that the board talks about every board meeting. Every board member, every district VP hits the director up about it every time he's at our board. That I think... You know, it's unfortunate that the department chooses to staff, staff themselves down by using force instead of hiring. But it is a top priority of everybody in this organization, and it's the main topic of a lot of board meetings because it's happening not just in these certain units that stirred the pot. It's happening all over. So we're addressing that. Unfortunately, state government and courts take an awful long time, and we wish we could resolve it faster and quicker, and sometimes you can't because you talk about management not willing to do something and then you talk about janice well to go to courts arbitrations run about sixty thousand dollars minimum this lawsuit i think right now joshua we're about five hundred thousand into when we started filing the osha complaints into this you know we have an le lawsuit talking about their work week and what's their right for a work week and what triggers flsa we're about a million and a half into that this organization we have other things that have cost. So things cost money. And in order to win debates, whether to get legislation pushed through, at the end of the day, it's a numbers game. And when you have people believing that they don't need to be a part of something, well, they're not just thinking about themselves. They're hurting all of us. Because at the end of the day, all of us are being effective not to have the resources to be able to win these battles. Right. So when you go and you talk to people, it's not just about what their personal beliefs are. That's set that aside. You know, everybody has their personal beliefs. This union's here for wages, working conditions, and benefits. And in order to achieve the 56-hour duty week, to be able to achieve pay parity, to be able to achieve not being forced on duty, to be able to achieve a true FLSA thing, that takes money. That takes lawyers. That takes legislative advocates. That takes time. And at the end of the day, that's money. And where does that money come from? The membership that benefit them. So when you have people saying, I don't want to be a part of something, well, you're not just being selfish to yourself. You're killing the rest of your brothers and sisters that you're working on the floor. So I, I have a hard time understanding why someone doesn't see that. I know. And it's, I feel I've, I've been having this, this theory for a while and really been trying to bounce it off people. But it, it seems, it's, uh, it, the newer generation, whatever, I am a newer generation. I've been with the department for 10 years. You know, I have not suffered. Okay. I mean, truly, yes, I have mandatory overtime. Absolutely. I mess with my boys at home all the time. I say, well, I haven't been forced in years because you can't force me to do something I love. <laughs> gotcha. But I, I have not suffered. Okay. And, and a lot of these newer guys, they haven't suffered. You know, something that Pete Manoa brought up, I think it was at the town hall that we had in, in San Benito Monterey, but he's like, man, you know, you guys, you, you don't even know where we've been. You know, there was not, uh, there was a time not too long ago where if you had a structure fire, you'd pull up to the fire and your turnouts were in a bag on top of the engine. You'd throw down the bag, find out what fits, put it on and go in. 
you know, everything you have is because of the union. Nothing is given to you, literally. It, you know, everybody, oh, California is such a blue state, all these lib, libs and all that stuff. Nothing is given. You know, you think it's such a, a, a liberal and, you know, labor-friendly. Well, then why do we have to fight constantly just for pay parity, you know, for fair pay, for, for equal working conditions? Uh, and so... I feel like a lot of these non-members or, you know, whatever, they, they haven't suffered. They're getting everything. I mean, I don't want to, you know, downplay it. It's not to say you're getting everything, but I've always had the best equipment, new PPE, amazing training opportunities, decent days off. Oh, and by the way, I'm getting paid a hell of a lot. So I, I think that's that kind of bridge that we need to divide somehow in really trying to give that historical perspective. But, you know, we don't know where we're going if we haven't seen where, where we've come from. So that's where our retiree reps come in and, and reading the magazines and getting those articles out there. But it also seems like there's just this information overload. So, I mean, you know, Josh, how do we, you know, bridge that divide? You know, I don't know. It's like I said, it's a I think I, I'm kind of an amoeba because I'm a, come from a labor family. Salzoni and I are, you know, we're blood relatives. Our, our fathers work for local government and uh you know, we, we were brought up on the tradition and the fire family. And, you know, one thing they told us or my dad told me was, you know, he, he worked on the same three square miles of asphalt for 30 years. And he's like, you know, you need to go do something different because opportunities are there. You can ride on the same engine for 30 years or the same truck or, you know, you can do like what I've done. I've worked in Riverside, uh, Schedule A. I've ran hand crews. I've been able to do aviation. I, I've touched it all. And until you're there, these, these new kids just don't have a clue. Back in the day, we'd fight for a nickel. And that's going to be foreign to everybody listening. But we didn't even get paid 24 hours when I started. And that wasn't all that long ago. Yeah. So perspective's everything. And, you know, it's also the people out there need to they need to have those table talks and express where we've come from and not just show up to do the job and go home and get the check. And that takes an investment, just like all of us here. Like, we're here on our own time trying for the betterment of the people and for uh, building relationships and doing that. And it, it unfortunately gets lost because we are overworked and we are stressing our families out and we're giving it all. But if you don't know where you came from versus where you're at, it, it's hard. That's why history, you know, will tend to repeat itself. And it's our job to, you know, keep bridging that gap, keep uh, spreading the message and trying to be leaders. You, Jeremy, you brought up something about that information accuracy. <laughs> yeah, so I want to kind of delve back into what Josh was mentioning about coming from fire families. You know, I remember, God, I couldn't have been 10 years old. Seeing my dad, I think your dad still worked for Humboldt at the time. His grandfather, my uncle, standing out in front of a fire station picketing. You know, I don't perspective when you're a kid. You're just like, what? Like, why isn't my dad being taken care of? That was a weird conversation to have back then because I was mad. Tears, screaming. Fast forward to this career. It's interesting because for me, I have a perspective. My perspective is positivity. I'm trying to move us, whatever I can do to move us all in a forward direction. So I think information. Information is it's weird because we use it like... It's almost like we want information, but it's not the right information. Um, there's no context. It's the validity of it. There's there's really, it's like everybody wants the information, but no one knows what to do with it. So what do we do? 
you just kind of hit delete or hit backspace or just move on to the next, you know, click or whatever it is. And I think it's important, especially as leadership in this leadership class, which was, was awesome, is that how do we deliver the message accurately and timely? You know, and it, and it kind of goes back to that two arms of the same body, right, with the department and labor. Um, I think the department has similar issues, right? How do we, how do we communicate the history and, and, and how do we get to the next level? And I think our job, it's a little more difficult on the labor side because as the generations move through, they're necessary. We need them and our growth has is, is ex- been exponential over the last few years. But have we really evolved with our communication delivery and our information delivery? And so I think like podcasts and websites and, you know, all these other things that we're doing are great, but I think we need to make sure that our information coming out towards them to, to kind of curtail some of these issues is it's got to be accurate and timely and it's got to have, uh, it's got to be palatable. Um, we can't just, the way we were raised or the way we came up in the fire service was one way. And we can't just think that that's going to work for the next generation. We have to be creative. Um, and I think this generation wants they kind of want it delivered in a manner that's palatable, that it's ready to eat, not go think about it, figure it out on your own, because they're, they're so much more uh, adapt or um, they're more able to get through it faster because that's their generation, the technology generation. So accurate, timely, and I think sincere. I think that's the other thing. It's got to come from people who are sincere about it. You're not just a, a mouthpiece, you know, and I think rhetoric in, in this day and age is so prevalent that we need to get away from that and make sure that we're delivering that accurate message. Because I look back on that day when I was a kid, and it was crazy to think that firefighters were picketing. Like, oh, my goodness, like, why? Yeah. And now I know why. Because between legislation, you know, you're, you, it, it, whether it's legal or legislative or whatever you're dealing with at the time, there's a huge lift there. And if it wasn't for people like, you know, the leadership of L2881, you know, we'd be, we'd be flat for yeah. sure. Yeah. I think that, I think the dilemma we have with communications from, from my view and how I try to look at how I put stuff out is, is, is different in a lot of different ways these days. I can sit in a room and every room I go to and I'm face to face, you get across to them because they're looking you in your face. You're able to explain the nuances of something. You can't put that stuff in an in a email. You can't explain the nuances in an email. You can't put something out on social media that you may not want out there because those nuances is what's making you successful. And to have those out there that could go against you, you don't want to do. So delivering that message to what you said to be palatable or, or right away is very hard in today's world because everybody wants to look at their phone or somewhere where it's out there for the public general eye to know. So I think one of the ways we start improving it is like I've been trying to do is get back out on the road, get in front of them, get in their face, tell them and explain to them. And if they don't want to listen to you, that's one thing, but you can give them the nuances that you can't do. And like Josh mentioned it in class today, like, you know, everybody wants information, information. There's a lot of times there's no information. We are fighting for what we told you we were fighting for. There's a lot of things going on that I just can't put out on emails or social media. So the dilemma is how do you address this younger generation that wants it all over social media or Snapchat or something like that, where that's not the form to do it, you know, and that's where we are today. And that's, that's something we all have to work through and understand with this generation. But you also said something else is yeah, the, the younger group coming in hasn't hurt. 
and they has they haven't hurt because of this union. Right. The men and women right. that came before us in this union, the officers that came before us, they haven't hurt because they have. You know, and what really frustrates me is I everything I have. I, I wanted to be a Long Beach City firefighter. When I first decided I wanted to firefighter, I'm Long Beach, I grew up in Long Beach, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I came to Cal Fire and I saw the growth in Cal Fire and yeah, we had to fight for our nickel and stuff like that. But you know what? Everything I have today was because of Cal Fire, my job. But because of everything I have today was because of the union officers that came before us that fought for it, to have it. You know, so if you haven't hurt like we did, those five days, four days, not getting overtime, stuff like that, you don't understand. But we don't want them to hurt. That's <laughs> to, my to understand that. We don't want them to hurt, so we keep moving forward. But it seems like it's never good enough for them. <laughs> yeah, but I like the like what you said about face-to-face. I think it's it's – it's kind of been brushed aside, right? Because in technology, you know, the world we live in now, everybody wants to do it electronically. Yeah. I find a huge benefit to conversations over the dinner table, visiting fire stations, coming up to, to classes like this. I mean, I've seen the same faces over and over, but you really get something out of it, out of it every time. And the thing is, is that you can tell when you're, you're able to chase that metaphorical squirrel, right? They ask a question. Well, you can't do that in email. You can't chase squirrels in an email or a text or on Instagram. It, you got to be present. And I think that's the one thing I've learned over my years in, in, in trying to be a better communicator is be available to chase those squirrels with them. Because if they ask a question, you're right there and they can kind of, they can really feel your energy and, and see your, your passion or your, or your intensity. You yeah. know, when, when you say something like, you know, we fought because the people before us, the men and women of this organization have set us up to be where we're at. It's up to us. You can't really get that energy across in an email. Like it just well, doesn't ring. You say another thing and I say it too. I like face to face, but guys like you, me and Josh and stuff, we're not afraid to get in front of somebody. We're not afraid to get beat up. Unfortunately, Social media has made it a way to attack people, and they don't want to be attacked. So to sit at the coffee table when you have a bunch of angry people, you don't want to be that one guy that says, well, guess what? You're not accurate in your information. Let me explain it to you. And then you become the target. You have to be willing to do that, and that's not this generation today either, unfortunately. Not not everybody's that type A personality that's willing to do it. Right, Josh? Yeah. I mean, (laughs) I think that's why, you know, Tim and although we worked together in Riverside, we didn't know each other, and – we both showed up here in Sacramento at the district level at the same time. And we'll both tell you how it is and punch you in your mouth. Like, you know, I like Tim saying, he'll punch you in your mouth, but then he'll wipe the blood off your lip. Like, you got to have people that are willing to engage and put it, have, have the perspective and have the picture. And, I, I mean, that was easier for me because that's how I was brought up. That's how I was raised. I was programmed that way. Yeah. And these kids aren't. They will be. I mean, inevitably, they're smart. They will catch up. They will become leaders. But... You know, that's how uh, people rise to the top. You have the same guys, the same type of people that are leaders and willing to put it out there and put be bigger than themselves. Like the the union, what we're doing, everything, it's bigger than ourselves. And I kind of want to segue back into one of the highlights I thought this week is, you know, going back to relationships. We When we kind of brainstormed what advanced leadership would look like and kind of revamping it back to, you know, back to the basics and who we are, we wanted to um, not just do the adversarial thing and bring in a manager that works well with us. So we tried to get Chief Meacham from San Diego because he is a leader. Unfortunately, that worked out. But because of relationships, we were able to reach out. We got a region chief to show up. And I don't think, and Tim, correct me if I'm wrong, but we had a region chief sit through our presentation on how we work with management. 
And normally you wouldn't show your cards, but we do stuff on the up and up, and I thought it was extremely appropriate, and I think he really respected that. It's all on the table. Like, we're going for the good yeah. of the order. You know, one thing I took away from that, and I think the class will take away from it and go back, they had a region chief sitting with advanced leadership of this union. One who explained, you know, he's also a generational firefighter. His dad was a union officer. He was raised, and he saw the benefits of the labor. And, you know, he, he was talking about when he was, he's a former veteran, when he was deployed, he carried his badge under his uh, bolt, armor. His armor yeah. Right. That was his pride was this department and what he's looking forward to come through and full circle. I talked to him when we walked about to thank him for participating. He is a catalyst with a union that's motivated to move the needle forward. And we are going to see amazing stuff, I think, over the next few years and what the new face of Cal Fire looks like. And for him to see that, I, I, you know, I'm hopeful that he saw the passion of the, what we're doing and and can really lean in. He's he and this, you know, Chief Tyler and this new executive management team. We really have a lot going on because of our uh, relationships politically, and because of history of fires. And this is the time to get on board. We are going to expand, and we can either be the largest and most progressive fire department in the world, yeah, by being lockstep, arm in arm. Or we could keep fighting it out, but we're going to get there regardless if it's the next round of Chiefs or not. But I, I really think that uh, taking it back and talking to it and looking at people and the engagement that we had from officers to a region chief, was it, it was neat to see. I've never seen that in my Well, I've never done that. I, I gave that PowerPoint, that presentation of meeting with management while the region chief was in the room. And I told him beforehand, listen, you know, I'm going to speak candidly and I'm going to, you know, lay it out. Oh, absolutely. No, that, that, that's what I want. Yeah. And so I found myself like, Hey, this is how we need to talk, you know, but afterwards he, Hey, you know what? You guys are teaching the right things and I need, you know, we need to, we need to work better, you know, together. So that was pretty nerve wracking. I, I, I had them just out of my vision kind of on purpose. Cause I just didn't want to, you know, like reference that, but I thought that was, that was really amazing. And to be able to share the trials and tribulations and, and the mess ups that I have done meeting with management, you know, that's what it was all about. But that being said, you know, part of the, the, the after action review that we had today was yes, we need to know about meeting with management also, but what we're talking about meeting with the members and how do we articulate that? And, and again, kind of going back to Janice, we're still trying to figure that out too. I mean, we, you know, we've always had members, we've always had naysayers or whatever, but it's a different era and how do we get to it? And, and also, you know, I, I took a PIO class a few weeks ago down in Riverside and the, uh, the, the three star, uh, PIO, you know, chief was there. And I was pleased to hear that, you know, their PIO shop is also working with our public information director, Kelly Boyles. And I'm like, oh, thank God, you know, because you, it, it's like, they're looking for videos, you're looking for videos. So now we can share and kind of come. To, so that's just one example of, Hey, why are we, don't be adversary. Like we're all, we want the same goal. Let's work together to make the greater good. So I was very happy to hear that and, and, you know, bringing Kelly on board and opening up this shop and building the shop, you know, of communication, I think is going to be really integral to our success, but also getting back to the face to face, even, you know, like using the tools, right. Using, you know, Kelly can help us out with handouts and, you know, and posters, uh, you know, and doing, you know, that kind of outreach, um, I think we're sorely underutilizing the tools that this union has. And that was also part of this week being advanced leaders. How do you use the tools at your disposal? Yeah, I think, you know, we have to get back to the basis and that's what you guys did with this leadership class is get back to the basis. 
you know, and, and let's get on track of where we need to interact with not just membership but management. Uh, we need to start holding chapter meetings. We need to start holding them, and people need to start showing up. You know, where you get your information is at those chapter meetings. And, you know, as we move into this, uh, what did you call it, dual role between Zoom and I forget the hybrid word hybrid type meetings, you know, that's fine. Let's have them. But let's start having those meetings. Let's start, you know, getting participation. But it's also on the backs of the actual members and people to get involved and attend those meetings and stuff like that to hear the information because it's there, you know, and they just have to be willing to find it too. But we really need to get back to the basis because, like you said, post-Janus, you know, opened a lot of eyes that, you know, we, unions as a whole, and I'll say it got kind of lackadaisical you know, on how we were communicating. And we were pretty fortunate under um, President Lopez, who said, hey, I need to start bringing on a communications director. He went to the board. The board approved it. And here we are. And we now have podcasts. We have a video, guys. We have a head of our department, Kelly Boyles, and and we're moving forward. So um, we're trying. We just got to get the members to show up. What do you think Bob Wolf would say about a podcast? How would he be on this thing? <laughs> oh, man, I think Bob would love it, dude. Yeah, yeah, Bob would it. love it. Bob would hold court and be here all day. Man. <laughs> I'm Slamming you. the table would be great. Yeah, yeah. Bob could speak. I'm not a speaker, but Bob's a speaker, man. I think that the the big thing here is that we're all recognizing, the, you know, basic human fundamentals of communication, and I think that's the key. Um, sometimes you got to, I think Josh referenced it, you know, to get where you're going, you got to know where you're coming from. And I think um, the basic human element of value, right? It's communicating the value to the next generation because we want ownership. We want them to believe not only in the department, but in the local. And it's important to get back and give them that opportunity to receive the information. I think it's, I think it's huge. And I think it's going to come from leadership here in Sacramento. I think we got to get out there. I think COVID threw us all for a loop, you know, and the whole distance thing. I did appreciate social distancing. I'm not going to lie. Um, I, I miss any social, but <laughs> the reality of it is, you know, to, to, to bring in and to instill that esprit de corps and that pride back in um, the, the, the department and, and labor is, is, is key. And I think that that's going to be from us face to face and answering their questions, because that's what I find to be huge right now. It's, it's, it's everywhere I go. They ask questions. And our generation was like, well, because I said so. Well, we watched it. They've only heard about it, so it's up to us to share the stories. And I think from there, there's just you know nowhere to go but up for both you know for both us and management. I think this is one of the first leadership cycles on both sides that li- are really have their eyes on the horizon and they're not looking at their feet. So it's it's pretty inspirational right now. You, you say on both sides because you're on the, those leadership cadres with the department as well. Yeah, I got a, a couple. Um, our vets has has been has been one of my favorites. Um, what a great group there! And um, I just got appointed to um, the new. I, I, I think I might be missed. We don't have a name yet, but it's uh, hiring, exams, and uh, retention that meets tomorrow for the first time. So super pumped on that. Uh, I did get to participate in the C Corps, um, which is the racial equality uh, education portion that we got to present to um, department leadership. And in, in in all of that, you just keep seeing different angles, right? It's all about perspective and, and, and seeing where you're headed from different directions because you can get tunnel vision pretty quick uh, on in, in anything, right? But for me, being able to see it from, you know, the department's leadership side and the labor's leadership side, I think it's what's really given me the, the tools to 
communicate in both directions. And, you know, hopefully I'm doing it, you know, I, I got knocked in the teeth a couple times during the ratification meetings, which it, that got a little bit, uh, I felt my expiration date kind of kick in there with the membership. But, you know, with solid friends and leadership and good relationships, you know, they just kept reinforcing you're doing the right thing. But that's a combination for me. I've been taking it from all directions and trying to apply it to help both because I don't think there's a success without both. I don't think one side wins. I think it's going to take both teams to get to where we want to get. And that's a pain-free fire department, right? I mean, the reality of it is I got to serve with the Marine Corps. Uh, you know, I mean, this is going to be argumentative to some, but, you know, arguably the best branch. Um, I'll argue <laughs> that. Semper Fi, devil dog. A firm. And then the other thing is, is this fire My department. My son was in the Army. They you were know. great, too. <laughs> They're all great, but obviously I'm going to I'm gonna shout out to my folks yeah, in the Corps. But the reality of it is, um, you know, this is the greatest fire department, and, and, and I will argue that with anybody, um, anywhere, anytime. We, what we've become is something, you know, we are a, a beacon of light regionally. Um, like, you know, San Diego, wow. Uh, no way eight years am I saying we're sitting here with the regional fire department and boom with exceptional leadership here we are yeah. who would have thought 66 staring down the barrel of a 56 I mean come on I mean it it's all comes from leadership from both sides working lockstep to get where we want to get so I've just been fortunate or unfortunate depending on how you look at it to see it from both sides you know working both angles so it's been good right and nothing's a given it's all a fight no, none of this is just going to get handed to us so getting those right people in the right positions, you know, to affect the change that we want. And if it, and if it's not like you were sharing today, well then, Hey, you know, there's elections, there's a process, you know, you don't like the constitution then amend it. Uh, and I think that's what's so unique, you know, but also very important about our organization is that this is a bottom up organization. And well, without the department, you don't have a union and without the union, the department doesn't grow. We, we both need to be together. That's just how it works. You said something earlier about, um, you know, picketing and, you, you know, your dad. And that, that really reminds me of something that, you know, I was fortunate. I think that's kind of a something that we, we all have in common. You know, I'm a third generation, you know, union officer as well and a union member. And, you know, early on, uh, I remember going to the store with my dad and, you know, the store workers um, were picketing and, he saw it. He turned right around. Like, Where are we going? He's like, I ain't ever crossing a picket line. And you better not do the same thing. True story. Yeah. And so that stuck with me. Um, and, you know, just to, to share that story, um, recently, uh, Waste Management, our local 270 um, trash truck drivers, they were on strike. And so, like, well, they're on strike. And they had scabs coming out from all over, no offense, from Arizona and everywhere, Salzone, because I know you live in Arizona. You're not the scab. It's all Go, good. sons. All right. <laughs> and um, so I didn't put out my trash, but then I thought, you know what? No, I'm going to put out my trash, but I'm going to fill my trash can with my dog shit. So the scabs got my dog <laughs> shit. So uh, even to this day, even when it comes to my trash, and we had a pretty stinky can for quite a while, you know, saving that up. But I mean, it, it means something. And I think maybe that's what's missing too with this quote unquote newer generation or just the fact that a lot of our members, they don't, they don't have that upbringing that I was absolutely honored to be instilled with from my family, from my father, being a strong union guy for my sure. entire I life. Josh and I, like I said, coming up, you know, generational public servants, right? Whether it's fire service, my brother was in law enforcement. We were surrounded by it. So for us, I mean, heck, we'd be sitting at the campfire, listening to, you know, the, you know, the, the 
our our the older men in our lives debating it like yeah. at a campfire. So for us, it became you know normal. And then uh, I had a rough patch with the union uh, a long time ago, and my brother uh, he was CHP at the time. Where he's, he just retired. He never left, but he retired. And he looked at me and he said, you know what? Good times and bad times, they're the only constant. And that really rung to me, you know, hearing that from a different, you know, labor organization. Because, you know, not everything was great in CHP. They've had their fights too. And it's just really important to recognize the importance of labor and um, in all labor, in my opinion. But for us personally and intimately, you know, in public service, it's huge. And, and Know, it's gigantic and it's the impacts are you know generational yeah i think it's easy to take for granted when you don't know and like i said it's it's you don't know where you're going unless you don't know where you're coming from and i don't think that's a fault of the new generation i think they'll come around but it's just easy to take it for granted when you show up as an 18 year old kid or you know not kids anymore but when you show up as an 18 year old and you're lacing up your boots for the first time on one of our firefighter hand crews or whatever, and you're making seventy or eighty thousand dollars a day on a three day work week. A year. Year. A year. Making Sorry, a day. A year. No, we were mine. I mean, granted, <laughs> you're, they're working for it, but the perspective just isn't there. It's a learned thing, yeah. and they're going to have their trials and tribulations. And in thirty years, they're going to be saying, "Well, that was dog shit," right? I mean, just think about it. Like when we started versus where we're at, it's going to be the same thing, but it's all perspective and. It's, it's the house of labor and it's um it's important and it, the, the train's not going to stop there but it's our job to you know when like jeremy said when we were coming up as kids and back in the day the fire department you were raised by other families or you did the campgrounds right now unfortunately with the amount of time we're working on these fires and all that you we don't go and have barbecues with other families because we're barely struggling to keep ours afloat yeah and you know, I think it's gonna. I think it's cyclical, and I think it'll come back around. And um, but currently, that's we're on a downslide of that right now. We don't have the tradition that we were raised on, and I think that's across the board. Yeah, and that raised what I wanted to ask you because you said it twice today, and and I hear my vice president Manoa say it all the time: shelf life. Why? Why do you feel? Do you feel your shelf life is over because those guys were beating you up? Because really, to me, I look at shelf life where like, hey, I've done all I could do. I can't do no more. Maybe there is a new guy to come in and give some thoughts where I don't see what you have and what you were trying to give is that educational piece that you're talking about, your uncles and your dads that are giving you. You're that guy. Is your shelf life really over or were you just like, I'm tired of getting beaten up because I don't think your shelf life is over. Your knowledge and and I, I get frustrated when people say that when I really don't understand what they mean by shelf life. Because I I agree, at some point in time, we've all done what we can do. It's time to hand the reins over and let, let the other guys in the younger group take it on. But I don't think you're there yet, Jeremy, because I think, yeah, those guys beat you up, but you stood ground with them, you educated them, and you still have a lot of education to give. So what do you mean by you feel your shelf life is? So, and in, in, in that was a very you know, specific incidents that you guys picked me up from, I felt that I wasn't getting, I wasn't communicating effectively anymore. And that was, it was really difficult because, I mean, the funny, I mean, a funny little side note, I mean, my knife, my wife was about ready to go crazy listening to those Zoom calls from the house. <laughs> she was like, let me at them. And I, I, when I mean by my expiration date is I feel that 
you know, we, we find that sweet spot where we're clicking on all cylinders and you're productive and you seem to be able to get your message across. And for some reason, it seemed like the first time, and I guess this is a woe is me moment that I felt that I wasn't. Because usually, you know, when you speak to that kind of stuff, you know, people are like, okay, okay. Sal says this is a good thing. This is a good thing. And it was the first time my ego got hit because they were really questioning me. And so expiration date and communication and effectiveness. But you guys circled me back. And what was really interesting after all that is the, uh, you know, the post-ratification support that I got. That kind of re-inspired me to, you know, lace my boots up and not feel sorry for myself. But I think that a lot of us feel this because, you know, we put so much, I mean, we put so much skin in the game. You know, there's people that are doing it for, you know, whatever reason, but, you know, some of us are truly believe in it. And not to say that I'm better than anybody else, because I'm usually not the smartest person in the room, but the reality of it is we go through this career and we choose labor, right? Labor doesn't choose us, we choose it. This is all voluntary. People, I think, forget that mm-hmm. we sign up for this 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 torture, but... Yeah, I just felt that I was losing my ability to communicate. And then what happened? Fire family picked me back up. They they appreciated it. Even some of the ones that kind of took shots at me, you know, we circled them back and they go, wow, this really was a good thing. And, you know, it just reinvigorated me to jump back up and get back after it and see if I don't have a, you know, have a couple of years left. Well, I don't know. It, you know, and I can understand that because, you know, Sean, you yourself needed to take a step back. And, and recheck, but you're, you're not gone. You know, we always say you're not gone. I'm right here. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and and I, I could relate to that because like, it, there was a period in the last two years where I felt like, you know, all these accusations that I'm out of touch and, or, you know, just all this stuff finally was starting to really eat at me. And I had that brief moment where I thought, am I? But then I had to take a check. And no, this, anybody that, this organization is moving forward. It's not like we're stalled. It's not like we're going backwards. And that's what kind of reinvigorated me. As long as this thing's moving forward, then you know what? Bitch all you want, but we're still moving forward. Absolutely. And when we're not moving forward and the boat is stalled, then that's probably shelf lifetime, right? Someone else will come in and give it a new perspective and stuff like that. So I can see where you're coming from in that because social media has made it so easy for those freaking keyboard warriors to talk shit about you and throw accusations out. But at the end of the day, I had to really realize it doesn't hold water. It well, doesn't hold water. Ain't nobody can fault anything of this organization. Nobody can come forward to this organization and say this union has done anything but move forward over the last 10, 15 plus years easily, you know, because we have a great board. We have great officers that really do it. And we just can't allow them to knock us down, dude. So, no, that's, I agree. Yeah. And, it, and it really did. It was, it was awesome because the outpouring of support because, you know, about the time you want to dip out, you know, yeah all those mentors in your life, and <laughs> your, you know, your, your, your family, your friends, your fire family, you know, when they step up and they, yeah. you know, they dust you off and they say, go get after it again. It, it is, you know, and, you know, Santa Hall and Silva and those guys, you know, and, and Liz, you know, we were cracking up because it was like, this was awesome. Like, how can they not see this? But the reality of it is, I think it gave me just a little more inspiration to find a different perspective to deliver. Um, having you guys on there was great. You and Pete, you guys were exceptional with that. And, you know, again, you know, it's just, it's a big family that just keeps us upright. So, you know, when you're, when you're in a position, when you're fortunate to be in a position that's recognized like that, you know, I, I don't take it lightly. It's a huge responsibility, you know, especially when you're sitting at that table for the first time and you're like, wow, this is happening. You know, this is you know, a few people bargaining for, you know, 
a large, large organization. It's, it's powerful, but I appreciate it. And, you know, sometimes I have to take a, you know, an operational pause and reevaluate, you know, what I'm doing. And so I did, you know, I dusted myself off with the help of friends and family and just got back after it. But, you know, I'm not done yet. And there's still a little tread on these tires and we'll see what happens next. I, I got to say for both. I mean, I know Jeremy took pause and Sean, you took a pause, but you, you guys touched hearts and souls this week, your passion and your motivation and your, how articulate you are. Like maybe this is your new lane, right? And this may be where we take the needle. Like I said, a little bit further, like you guys contributed. And I mean, we started a whole new class this week and we got nothing for the most part, but good feedback, obviously some, positive constructive criticism on where we should go but you guys are leaders and if this is where we got to be for right now then you know as a whole we're charging hard and you, you guys are you did a great job this week i appreciate it no, i appreciate even being invited well you said one thing when you when you were stepping back was hey if you need me call me you've held true to that i've talked to sean sean's not done sean you're a future of I see you a long time in this union, brother. I told you that from the get-go. Well, and that's the thing. I got a long yeah. ways to go, too. You know, yeah. I'm a 3% and 55 guy, and I'm about to turn 39. So I got a long ways to go in this career. You know, and I, I just promoted back onto the A-side. You know, met a captain. Thank you very much, bargaining team, for all the money I'm going to be getting. <laughs> uh, and, and so, it, you know, I, I do. I want to. And I'm thinking about that longevity, you know, and that shelf life. You know, it struck me, uh, Salzoni, you know, when I, I – I was, has it, I, I was, I took a pause on having my ratification meetings. I did not want to go right to it. We were still kind of trying to figure out the 260 and what that was going to look like. And I wasn't ready. And I wanted to just let the dust settle. And um, right around that time or so, I hit you up. Because first of all, I mean, while we're all praising, I can't think of a better person to have on the bargaining team. I'm not in the South. I'm in the Central. But you're doing a fantastic job. You know that. Um, but I hit you up and I'm like, hey, so how'd your ratification meeting go? Oh, dude, shit show. <laughs> Complete murder. <laughs> I'm like, oh, damn. Okay. And then I had mine and they're like, yep, yeah, cool. Where do I sign? Ready to go. I'm like, what the hell happened? But I think part of it was, is just not having them right away. That was a strategy that I chose that benefited um, because there was a lot of unknown and a lot. And I mean, how it all went out and, you know, Cal HR, you know, kind of being a little premature on, on putting the <laughs> yeah, information they out. out ahead of us there. Jesus. So we were, you know, we were behind the curve, but I, 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 I felt it in your, in your voice. And I'm like, Ooh, man. And then having my meetings and it was peachy, you know, you're just you way better than I am. Well, well. <laughs> yeah. I want to circle back one thing. The funny thing is, is um, Patrick Walker, right? VP down there in 10, you know, we never, we didn't always agree on communication. Right. But he, I think he's, cracked a code and getting us involved in doing the multiple, right? Now, don't just do one or two. I mean, do a lot of them and make sure that it's available. And, you know, we had this, some discussions about it and Patrick's like, listen, it's all going to work out because it's like he cracked the code down there with how much we've grown. And I can't thank him enough for pushing me into it to really convincing me it was the right thing to do, even though now, you know, looking back on it, you know, we did a great job and we got the message out and everything else. At the time, I would have told you it was the worst decision I ever made. But really, you know, he has been such a forward thinker in, you know, diversifying our communication out to our membership that I can't thank him enough for, you know, being in my corner and, and, and really like our whole district. And, you know, again, it's down there. We just, 
everything, even though we have disagreements with leadership, our leadership are so pro-union down there. It's crazy. So when we were doing all those ratification meetings, it was, it was good. And um, it was, it was a little nerve wracking from time to time, you know, having Tim and Pete there is, is my, you know, my safety blankets was nice, but (laughs) the reality of it is, you know, Patrick really did crack the code on that for us. And, you know, he taught me a lot about reaching out and leaning into it because, you know, my generation is, well, I told you, you know, I told you. And so, um, no, it was, it was good. Yeah. <laughs> it was good. Yeah. You asked the question what keeps us going, and I, I can't speak for Josh, but I, I, I'm actually this year, and and I'll just say it, actually I believe since convention I've been re, reinvigorated because I think we're at a time, especially on the executive board, where we're starting to click. We're all we're all in line. We're all in, 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 in tune of where we're going, what we need to achieve. And, and to me, that's what keeps me going because I could see that we have a group of leadership sitting around that table that is now on the same page and same pace of where we need to go. And um, that's why I'm excited. And I think we're going to be able to get it done because we have such a, a strong group on that executive board right now that sees eye to eye on a lot of things. Yeah, I, I mean, this is just like anything in the career. You're never good at anything when you start it, right? Yeah, yeah. And uh, I took over a district that was kind of – I wouldn't say in shambles, but we were just on pause, if you will. And, you know, it took me a long time, one, to offload and delegate because everybody likes to hold tight. We're all alphas. But two, like recognize your talent. And that's been my focus the last few years is I have some studs coming up that are smart and they're they're way smarter than me on a lot of things. And they're passionate. And when you start giving them the olive branches and going and then, you know, the president takes note and then we're starting to touch committees and cadres and it's you you as soon as you start empowering people and entrusting people like you really make some momentum so i'm still around because i think i'm effective and i have the right i'm effective because of the core of my district i have solid guys that back me that know that i have their intentions and i'm not gonna take bullshit i'm gonna stand up for my district and you know maybe i'll be a captain forever because of that because i can have those hard talks with the chiefs but it's business. They know that. They understand that. That's why I have a good relationship with the unit chiefs and the region chief. But it's also we're we're not gonna we're not gonna hit pause because you don't like it. Like we have a core group of guys that are are willing to attack. Unfortunately, I have to pull on the reins a little bit on some of them because they're new and motivated. But it's a good thing. And I mean, that's I, I feel our district's as strong as it's been since I've been around. And that's because the group of guys that I have with me. That's not anything else than that. So. It's a fun time. Like Tim said, I've, been, I've seen, I don't know how many VPs come since I've been here, over a dozen collectively across the executive board. And I, I think we're lockstep. Like, we don't always agree, but that's fine. We have the hard debates, and that's good. We have the hard debates. Yes, we do. But we have the ability to come out with a message. And, you know, that's all. that trickles all the way down to my chapter directors currently, and I think that's why we're moving forward right now so fast. Yeah, I love it. I love it. Let me ask you something, Sean, before we start trying to wrap this up. Because you're how old again? 39. 39. So how do us as union leaders keep you, who I I, I tell you this all the time, so it's no secret, who I believe is an up-and-comer in this union, how do I keep you motivated? You know. It's called getting put on the spot. (laughs) I mean, I am motivated, but what are, you know, every individual has their own motivations. You know, 
what doesn't help is that every year convention is my wife's birthday. Mm. You know, and I have a six-year-old at home. And it's, I'm here because I know what we have gone through. I'm here for my grandfather, for my father. The motivation is there, but priorities, you know, have to change. And I understand, you know, I, 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 I know I have not been in DVP been a chapter director for a while. I understand the time that it truly takes to be effective. And you know what? And, and I'm not, and I wasn't good at delegating. So I know, and something that I learned this week, especially from you, Salzoni, is, is how to effectively delegate. Um, it's hard. I mean, it, it, it gets me emotional. Like, you know, all of a sudden, like not doing this, it's just like there's a void and a hole, you know, in my life. I, I'm feeling that with family time. Um, but I, I'm really trying to, you know, reinvigorate, you know, my relationship with, with my home life. And, um, you know, I'm not going anywhere, but I do need to, you know, just kind of redirect that. I mean, my whole life from my, my wife's business to my station to my kid's elementary school, it's literally a mile radius. I am incredibly blessed in what I have at home. And... There are no, I wish there was flights from Monterey to Sacramento because boy, that would make it easy. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Paul would agree with you from San Luis to Sacramento. Yeah. And, and so, you and know, Josh I, from way up yeah, Northern got, California, got, Sacramento. I got five hours. <laughs> right, right. You know, and so, I mean, I am mm. motivated. I am, and, and what part of what is motivating me is this, first of all, Josh asking me to be like a part of, you know, when somebody asks you to, do you, can you help teach advanced leadership to a class of a local that is the largest local in the International Association of Firefighters? Uh, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Coming out of retirement or whatever. So, I mean, this motivates me. Um, you motivate me. I, I, I mean, I, trust me, I am motivated, but it's just, it's prioritizing, you know, your family and, and your life. And I got one kid um, you know, um, it was hard for us to even have that, that kid, you know, and, um, I'm only going to have her once, you know, and, you know, the fact that I was able to, you know, take a break and help coach her soccer team, you know, something that I've never been able to do because all my spare time has been with this. I understand now how I can more effectively delegate, but who are you uh, delegating to? Do you have officers out there willing to, you know, help you take on those reins and stuff like that? And so, you know, also part of me kind of stepping back is seeing, you know, George Nunez come in as my unit chief, seeing John Byrne come in as my AO, you know, Nick Saradella from SCU uh, that came down to BEU, not necessarily a labor guy, but super legit and dialed. Our executive team specifically in San Benito Monterey is legit. And so knowing that I'm like, oh, damn, dude, like, I, I, I know that I could probably get some stuff done. But now right now, the time to strike, but right? I, and I know District now's the time, 10, to, now's I know, the time, now's to, strike. The time <laughs> to strike, but, you know, um, but also like yeah. I wanted to step up and, but like I told you, you know, I wanted to step up and I had the motivation to step up as long as I had a succession plan and support. Well, for, you know, whatever reason and, and you know, legitimate you. personal yeah. reasons, you know, that succession plan fell through. And so my motivation at that point dropped because I'm like, you know what, if no one else is going to do it, then why do I continue to step up and, and, and do kill it? yourself so over it? Yeah. That's a really long answer. Um, I've never, you know, 
the motivation is there, Tim. I, I love you, man. And it's not just because I think you're my, no, you're not my father. <laughs> I don't know. Where was your mom back uh, then? Whoa, <laughs> hold on a second. All right. We're cutting that out. <laughs> but, you know, so, I mean, I love you guys, dude. And, and uh, so, you know, uh, I'm not going anywhere, but also realistically, I mean, yeah, you know, I, I'm thankful to be in the, you know, 20 years, you know, fully vested in medical, but, you know, I'm going to, I'm 55 at least. And also I like, I want to promote in this department, you know, and especially being honored to have the last two seasons being a Schedule B fire captain. That reinvigorated my my career wanting to do this. I now know that we are the best fire department. I don't think it or, or well, I heard it. I know we are. And um, so I'm just doing some rearranging, you know, and, and I do want to promote. Uh, and I do want – my problem is, and I was actually telling uh, my chief this the other day, my problem is, is I want to do everything right now. <laughs> and especially in this department, shit, you can do everything, man. And so that's my problem is I want to do everything. So I'm taking some time and trying to kind of re, you know. I can respect that. that. I can respect that. And, you know, I always tell everybody family's got to come first. First and foremost, family. So I can respect Don't that. Don't let my wife find out that you said that. <laughs> but um, at the end of the day, we're not letting you go. So we'll find a place for you that fits in your it's well, in your hey, life right now. Shout out to Montelary, right to Montelary boys and Curtis Nagel over there. He's doing a great job, you know. And Curtis I'm really is happy. doing a great job. And honestly, yeah. like if I didn't step away, you know, Matt Geary that came out of nowhere hits me up. Hey, man, you know, uh, I'm from Riverside, promoted up to San Benito Monterey. Heard you need some help. What do you need? Well, we need a chapter director. I'll do it. Holy shit! And you know, took it by the reins, you know, and mm. trying to, you know, and and help him. And, you know, and guide him. Uh, and, you know, hopefully he doesn't make all the mistakes that I made, but I know, you know, sometimes you just got to make the mistakes, you know, to, mm -hmm. to learn it and go ahead. But that motivated me too. the fact that people were just willing to step up and step into that role. Um, so I'm here, I'm not going anywhere, you know, um, and I, I just really appreciate you guys, you know, giving me this opportunity, uh, you know, to come up here and have a microphone and Kelly and what you're doing and, and everybody. It's pretty awesome. Thanks guys. Yeah, I appreciate the time. Thank you. All right. Well, thank you, everybody, for listening in. Send your ideas for podcast to Kelly. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks for listening to this episode of Going Direct. As always, please give us a follow on social media at Cal Fire Local 2881. And if you have any podcast suggestions or want to host one yourself, let us know. Thanks for listening. Take care. <laughs>